This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. We are super, super excited about our Christmas Eve services last week. As Pastor Mike said, we got a special service, two services planned, a hot cocoa bar for the kids, some picture opportunities for your families. And more than anything, we just want to share this this good news of Jesus. And so I just want to be just encouraging you to be thinking about, praying about people that you can invite to come along and be a part of our Christmas celebrations next weekend. So many people this time of year, they're just searching. They're trying to figure out the God connection in their life. And as your church, we want to help them in that journey. So uh, invite them, come and be a part of our services next week. So this weekend is a little bit, I don't know, kind of an odd weekend because if you were here last week, uh, it was all about Christmas. In fact, our Jay Seekers, our kids, did an awesome job, absolutely crushed it telling the Christmas story. And then as you can tell, next weekend, all about Christmas again. It's going to be such a fun celebration. This week is kind of a, an in-betweener, and kind of as I was seeking God, just kind of praying about this weekend, I felt like it'd be a really good opportunity to not only finish our series on the book of Galatians, but to also talk about maybe... Maybe some aspect or one aspect about the Christmas story that gets a little bit overlooked. Now, again, if you're just visiting with us this morning, you're kind of coming to the end of a really long conversation. We've been looking at this book of Galatians in the Bible uh, for well over a couple of months. And we've been looking at kind of and trying to get what the author intends. And he's intending for us to understand the one true gospel of Jesus Christ and his hope is my hope as well. In fact, the author is a guy named Paul. He was preaching, writing to a group of people, Christians, that were brand new in their faith. Uh, it was probably a series of churches, maybe six or eight different churches, in a region known as Galatia. You could find this on the map today. It's modern-day Turkey. And he wanted them to know this gospel, to like their core level. And that's my hope for you as well, that you would know the gospel of Jesus. You would own it kind of deep down in your soul, and then be able to reject all other messages, all other messages that are really just false gospels to lead you astray. So today we're going to finish up our series, No Other Gospel, and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. I'll give you a few minutes to find your way uh, to Galatians, very last section of the Bible. Um, all the words will be on the screen for you as well, and if you don't have a Bible, we like to say you can take one of ours. We've got Bibles in the seat racks in front of you. You can take one home. Merry Christmas. There's our gift to you. A um, little programming note, this idea of gospel, I just feel like it's so important for us. We're actually going to revisit this in January. A little bit of a programming note. We're going to come back to the idea of gospel, but I want to look at it through the lens of other world religions. In fact, I get asked all the time, hey, pastor, great. I'm starting to understand the Christian faith, but what about what about the Muslim faith? What, what, do, what do they believe? What do Hindus believe? If I'm talking to a Mormon, where do we have common ground and where are there differences? Or what do I say to an atheist or a Jehovah's Witness if they're on my front porch? Like, how do I engage in these thoughtful conversations about this one true gospel? I want to go through uh, kind of a, a series to kind of prepare you and uh, to bring kind of just some understanding to other worlds. He's calling it Crossroads, and we'll pick that up in January. See, this idea of gospel is not a one-time thing. You know, it's not like Okay, there, I got the gospel. The gospel is this kind of this evolving idea of how you grow in Christ. Um, it'd be like anything else that's valuable in your life. You don't maybe, you know, 
go to the gym once, lift some weights, and say, there, I got all my gains, right? Or, or you don't go for a run and say, oh, I'm ready for the Olympics. You continue to grow and to mature, and that's my hope, that we would keep growing in what the Bible calls this gospel grace that's available to us. Uh, before we jump into Galatians this morning, um, we're also going to celebrate communion today, and I thought this would just be a perfect opportunity to do that, because the topic and the unique aspect about Christmas that's brought to us in this book of Galatians is this idea of the cross. My message today is titled, From the Cradle to the Cross, and that's what I hope we kind of pick from this message, is an understanding of the cross. you got to kind of know uh, at the beginning of this message, I, I love crosses. In fact, I believe that crosses, they tell stories. So if you came in my office and you saw these crosses on my bookshelves, I could, I could tell you little stories about how I got that cross and how that one was a gift from so-and-so, and, and I just love that. In fact, one of my favorite crosses in the church is the one we have in this room underneath uh, the display over there. In fact, it was um, a gift from a member in our church, a handmade cross that he made from a really special barn, some barn wood that he had collected. And he gave that, created that, and then gave that cross to us as a community when we moved into this building. Again, just that story just touches my heart. Now, you might be sitting here this morning thinking, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. Crosses, Ron, like, oh no, has our pastor just completely lost his mind? I mean, come on, Ron, don't you know this is Christmas? You've got your holidays confused. You're talking crosses, and that's more Easter. This is the Christmas season. You know, you probably are thinking, well, we're going to hear about Elves and Santa and sugar cookies and at least, you know, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph, or at least tell me about the wise men, Ron. And I promise you, we'll get to that. But next week, in fact, the origin of the Christmas story is not the same as the destination. And my hope this morning is that you would have one eye on kind of this cradle, this birth of Christ that we'll celebrate next week, as well as what Jesus came to ultimately do and fulfill in his work on the cross. In fact, that's what the author, Paul, is really wanting us to get. In fact, I have thought this week, I can't think of another book in the Bible that gives you a more vivid description of what happens when you fall away from an understanding and an application of the cross in your life. And that's what had happened in these churches. These people, they, they immediately, when they heard about the message of Jesus, they were on fire. They gave their life to Jesus they started following the teachings of Jesus. I can imagine that they got together in their little communities, maybe their little small groups, and they started giving sacrificially of themselves. They were learning about compassion and care. We see that in a few cases throughout the book. But then their pastor, Paul, had to move on. He was an entrepreneur. He was kind of a leader and a message spreader of this gospel news. And as, as Pastor Paul left their community, that's when the wolves came in. That's when false teachers came in. We've looked at them throughout this series. They're known as the Judaizers. They come in with this message that, hey, it's not just all about Jesus. The gospel isn't just Jesus. You have to add to it these other things, these rules, these regulations. Of course, throughout this book, I think I've said the word circumcision every week because that comes up in almost every chapter of this book. You've got to have this little rule. You have to add this to your faith. Or you have to make sure you eat certain foods, you know, just kosher food, or stay away from anyone that could be unclean. It's this ongoing message, and the people in the church were kind of drinking the Kool-Aid and being led away. In fact, you could summarize the book with sort of three warnings. It's a book that warns you to never exchange the grace of God 
for any law, any tradition, any rule. It's also this warning that when you've received this freedom, to never leave the freedom you've gotten in Christ for kind of a new form of bondage. It's also the warning against ignoring the Spirit of God, right? A couple weeks ago, we talked about keeping in step with the Spirit of God, never ignoring the Spirit, and then following your own flesh. Your flesh is this, these things that you regret, this human nature and tendency to sin. It's being led into gossip and discord and envy and all these things that he talks about uh, in the previous chapter. Instead, he's warning them again and again to stay in step, to keep in step with the Spirit of God. It's, it's a letter of urgency. It's a letter that I think is needed today to never turn away from God. So I want to wrap this up, and he's going to give you one final warning in this book. And it's the very last section we're going to read, Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. He starts off with a really strange comment. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Here's the key idea. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, Brothers and sisters, amen and amen and amen. Um, have you ever heard of like a, a sandwich method of delivering bad news? Have you heard of this idea of like the sandwich technique? You know, you got to give somebody some, some like rebuke or some criticism or some like, hey, do it differently next time. And so what do you do? You, you sandwich that bad news, right? You give them maybe some good news, maybe a little compliment thing they're doing, something they're doing well. And then you deliver, okay, Here's what you need to fix. And then you close that sandwich, you leave them, not on a low note, but you give them another compliment. That's exactly what Paul has done in this letter. He's had a crucial conversation, to put it maybe, in words that you've heard today. And he's delivered that news, and he's now ending the letter the same way he started, grace and peace to you. And as I said, he says something so odd at the very beginning. He says this strange thing. See what large letters I use to write to you. I wrote these with my own hand. It's kind of a strange sort of like, like admission. Probably a couple things. Scholars say, number one, Paul is nearing the end of his life. And he's kind of indicating, hey, I'm at the end of my life and my eyesight isn't what it used to be. In fact, it's probably worse than, than that for Paul. He's talked in other places about this thorn in his flesh. And it's probably actually something to do with his vision. Um, some scholars believe that Paul had these seizures, and seizure after seizure had kind of left him with this very strange, maybe dropsy kind of eye that looks strange and really odd to be around. And he would just have these seizures sort of like for no reason and when he couldn't control them. And then he came to this church, and the people in the church loved him and accepted him despite maybe his physical appearance. In fact, he says this, how much they cared for him in the previous chapter, Galatians 4, verse 15. He says of this church, he says, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. 
Like, that's kind of the loving relationship he had with this church. You, you loved me so well, you would have given me your own eyes if you could have. And he says, I'm, I'm writing this with my own hand. I, I can imagine this was a letter. He didn't, like, leave this for his scribe to do. He didn't say, all right, administrative assistant, let's sit down and pen this last section. He actually wrote this with a sense of, like, I can't wait. I can't let anyone else deliver this. And I imagine they're big, bold letters as if, like, if you've missed everything else I've said, don't miss these parting shots. And it really is this focus. The most loving thing he could do is to warn them once again and to bring them to an understanding of the cross. I said kind of a key verse uh, was verse 14. I'm going to read it again for you. Verse 14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, I know sometimes us preachers, we sort of have this way in which every week we get up here and we say, oh, this is the most important verse. Or we'll say things like, this is my favorite, this is my life verse. And, and then we do that for like 52 weeks and the church is like, yeah, okay, we've heard this pastor. But I've thought about it and I think at least in the context of this book, this might be the most important thing Paul said. This is definitely what he wants them to grasp. And it all has to do with the cross. That's so why I want you to think about this cross, even at Christmas, especially at Christmas. So let me give you three things that I believe he's bringing us to better understand about the cross. And the first is really about focus. He wants us to focus on the cross, and he uses a word that kind of maybe, kind of maybe thinks you he thinks he, you mean, he means something else, and he uses the word boast. May I never boast except in the cross. And you hear that word boast, and you think, well, that's not a good thing. Boasting. Sounds like bragging, and I mean, like, who likes a bragger, right? No one likes a bragger, you know, me, 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 talk, 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 and nobody likes that. But what if, what, just think about it for a moment. What if, what if someone is boasting about someone else? What if the boast is actually this, this big deflection, not about me, but about someone else? In fact, think of it in your own life. Have you ever, have you ever received a compliment from someone? And maybe, let me twist it just a minute, maybe not just a compliment, like directly, that's one thing. Oh, gosh, thank you. You know, don't, stop, don't, no, stop, don't tell me anymore, right? But what if you actually receive a compliment and it's told to someone else and then you kind of receive it almost like third hand and you think, oh, wow, that person, I didn't even know, that person thought that highly of me, thought that about me? It kind of leaves you feeling differently about maybe your abilities or about who you are and... It feels kind of nice, right? And he's doing that. In fact, um, a couple weeks ago, it was so strange, I got ready to step up on stage and preach, and my daughter, Anne-Marie, my oldest daughter, she hands me this frame. And in the frame is a letter from 30 years ago. I had completely forgotten about this. I used to work in a service industry. I sold skis and snowboards, and one time I helped a young boy out and sold him a snowboard, and his dad was so, like, pleased with the service that we gave him, that he wrote a letter to my boss, kind of like commending me for my service. And I remember my boss got it, he showed it to me, he didn't just show it to me, he framed the letter. And then my boss went a step further, he framed the letter and he hung it right next to the time clock. So every employee had to look at this letter, I'm so embarrassed, and, and I had long forgotten about this letter, and then the 
company that I worked for at the time got sold and, and I don't know, this letter ended up in like my aunt's hands. I don't know how, but it ended up in my aunt's hands and then she gave it to my cousin and my cousin knew that my daughter was a teacher in Rockford, gave it to my daughter and then Sunday morning I get up to step on the stage and I, I get this letter from 30 years ago and I think, wow, and this isn't about me, but about like the power of boasting in someone else. I mean, Paul's words here are far older than 30 years and he's saying, may I never boast under no circumstance. May I think of anything except the cross. And what he's referring to here isn't just the cross as in, you know, two pieces of wood. He's referring to the work that Jesus does on the cross. He's boasting about what Jesus did. Think about that. I mean, he could have said anything in this moment. May I never boast, I don't know, except in the Ten Commandments, right? Those are kind of big. Kind of a big deal, right? Thou shalt have no other God before me. Don't steal, don't murder, right? Those are kind of biggies, right? He doesn't say that. He could say, may I never boast except in, I don't know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most powerful teaching. He doesn't say that either. You think of today and, I don't know, you think of the things that we boast in, even around the church, we boast about, oh, how great our church is or what our church is doing or, oh, I love that music or I love the, the things that we're doing or may I boast about my devotional habits. And Paul says, it's none of that. May I never boast except in the cross. That's the focus that he has in what Jesus does. See, Christmas is all about Jesus coming, but the rest of the Christmas card really needs to read that Jesus was born in order so that Jesus could die. The destination, the journey, goes to the cross. It's kind of interesting to think about when you think about this gospel message and you think about how we learn this through the Bible. There's four gospels. They tell you the life of Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I was thinking this week that these are the biographies of Jesus, and yet there's no biographies that are like these books. In fact, if you were a history teacher and you assigned to your class, hey, write a biography about a famous person, they would never look like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, right? I mean, you think about it, if you write a biography or you pick up a great book like the biography of Steve Jobs, you know, you read that and it's got kind of a, a section on Steve's upbringing, his childhood. You've got a section on his kind of rise to influence, all of his accomplishments, and then the end of his life. And it's sort of an equal weighting of childhood, rise, accomplishments, and then end of life. And the Gospels aren't like that at all. In fact, especially the Gospel of John. If you've never read the Bible before, I would encourage you, don't start in the beginning. Don't start in Genesis. Actually start in the book of John. And you'll read it in the first 11 chapters. You'll feel like you've learned everything you need to know about Jesus. I mean, 99% of his life is in the first 11 chapters. All of his miracles, all of his teachings, all of his journey. But then for some strange reason, John writes... 10 more chapters after that. And it's so unweighted. It's 10 chapters all on the final week of Jesus' life. Who would write a biography like that? I mean, to focus half the book on Jesus' unfair trial, his torture, his death on the cross. I mean, that's kind of a crazy way to write a biography, unless, unless that's the point, to focus on the cross. That's the first thing we need to do is focus on the cross. Second thing we need to do is move from focus to understanding. How do we understand the cross? Like, not just look at it, but how do we actually get some sort of meaning out of it? And I want to give you, a, give you just a really simple quiz this morning. Um, 
not meant to trick you in any way, but just kind of a, a quiz about the cross. And uh, here's kind of the quiz. If you look at the cross, and if you see on the cross, and, and you look at it, and you start thinking, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's so, that's so wonderful. Oh, the cross, that's so, that's so glorious. I would say if that's your first thoughts of the cross, then you don't quite understand it yet, or at least not fully. If instead, if you look at the cross and you begin to say things like, that's awful. The, the cross, that's, that's kind of disturbing. Um, if you were to look at the cross and actually start to think about it and say, it's offensive to think of what was done on the cross. I'm, a, I'm offended by that. Then I would say, you pass the test. You're actually starting to understand what the cross means. What do I mean by that? Well, I think in our day and age, we look at the cross and it's, it's so promoted, right? And you see the cross, and I've mentioned I've got several crosses in my office, they're beautiful. And we kind of do that with the cross. We treat it as a beautiful piece of art. Um, maybe we you know, hang it as pictures on walls, or we think of, wow, this is just such a beautiful symbol of jewelry. Maybe some of you are wearing a cross today. And it gets so promoted that it sort of mutes what actually happened. Think about it. I mean, who was the PR firm for Team Jesus, right? Like, who would have thought, okay, Savior of the world, he's going to die, and your logo, Christians, are going to be what was used to, you know, essentially capital punishment, kill his life. I mean, you don't do that with anything else. I mean, I could walk in your home and see a picture of a cross on a wall, but I dare bet you I wouldn't walk in your home and see, oh, wow, that's a beautiful picture of an electric chair, right, <laughs> or a firing squad. Like, we just don't do that because, again, the cross is this offensive sort of thing. It's disturbing to think about it, and I think the most disturbing, the most offensive is that Jesus went to this cross for every single person, and that doesn't matter who you are or what you believe. It doesn't matter your political affiliation. He went to the cross for conservatives and liberals people you disagree with. He went to the cross for Christians and good people alike, every single person. And that starts to maybe kind of sit in a point where it's, it's offensive to think that he did this. I was reading this book, and he, the author, uh, theologian, Dr. Roger Nicole, had this great point. And I'll just kind of summarize what he was saying. But he was talking about this offensiveness of the cross and understanding it. And he put it in this, this really strange way of thinking about it. He said, imagine that your house is on fire. Now, first of all, I hate this illustration. Like, I've got fears all the time that I was the one who left the stove on, who left the range on, and I'll just, I'll kind of have this panic, like, oh no, did I turn the stove off after I made my eggs this morning? So I hate this illustration. He said, just imagine your house is on fire, and you've already gotten your family out of the house and some of your valuable possessions, and you're standing there watching your home burn, and you're, of course, very sad in that moment. But then your neighbor comes up. And your neighbor, without saying a word, says, oh, let me show you how much I love you. And your neighbor runs inside of the burning house and dies. Now, would you think of that neighbor, wow, that neighbor really loves me? Or would you think, what an idiot. Like, why, did, why on earth did my neighbor run in after everything's out of the house? And then Dr. Roger Nicole says, now imagine this. Imagine you're standing there watching your house burn, but this time it's different. One of your children are inside. And the fire department comes up and says, there's nothing more we can do. We can't go in. It's too dangerous. And then your neighbor comes over and he says, let me show you how much I love you. And your neighbor runs into the house at his own peril, into the, into the funeral pyre. And 
saves your child, gets your child outside of the home only to lose his own life, then you would say, oh, how he loves me. What an amazing person. And the offense is this neighbor did this at his own loss, at his own peril. And to think that Jesus did that for everyone. See, what I want you to learn this morning is understanding the cross is not enough to just look at the cross and say, oh, that's beautiful, oh, that's wonderful. You actually, as a Christian, you gotta have some guts. You actually have to look at it and say, that's horrible. That's, that's brutal, that's horrific. Even at Christmas, and, and yet he did that for me. That's the power. That's what Jesus did, that's understanding the cross. Last thought, maybe the most important thing for us is then to say, how do I bring this cross? How do I bring the cross into my life and the power of it and apply it to me? And here's the amazing thing. This offensive instrument of death, this cross which seems so far from the Christmas story is actually what makes the child, the baby Jesus, the incarnate son of God, so incredible. And to think about this, it's, it's real. The cross isn't hyperbole, it's not just an image, it's real. And it's the ultimate upheaval of power. See, Jesus came and was born and lived and then went to this cross as the ultimate upheaval of all injustice. He didn't just die, he conquered death and threw over the entire power system. Up is now down and down is now up, especially in the resurrection. And this is what Jesus didn't push this away. He embraced everything about the cross. In fact, this is why the verse gets kind of strange. I want to bring it back up again. Galatians 6, verse 14. Of course, man never boasts except in the cross. But then he ends with this really strange, almost Shakespearean way of closing it out. He says, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And that's not just lip service and just fancy language. And it certainly doesn't mean that the world is killed or Paul is killed. That's just illogical in this moment. He's not saying that at all. It means, it means that it's possible for the cross to come into your life in such a way that nothing in the world phases you. That the things of this world sort of just diminish and become lesser than the cross. They've been crucified and are dead to the ultimate glory of what Jesus did. Let me just kind of put it to you this way. Are you, are you worried this morning? Are you scared in any way? This Christmas season, do you, feel, do you feel alone at all? Are you depressed? Are you angry at someone? Whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever it is, if the power of the cross is in your life, then all of those things just begin to fade away and just take up a less and less significance in your life. If the cross is what Jesus did for you, then those other little things cannot phase you or, or even bother you. May never boast except in the cross. May never give credit to anything but the work of Jesus. Let me just ask you in this message, what would it look like for you this Christmas, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're thinking about, whatever it is that's occupying your mind just for a moment and maybe for several moments throughout this next week leading up to Christmas, just kind of let those issues just kind of lay peacefully and you began to think about the cross. And the reason that this Jesus, this baby, came was for you and for me. And that leads us to communion. I'm going to invite Eli and the team to come up and to just give us some time and some space to reflect on the cross and to apply it into our own lives as well. 
You know, really it's the cross and this moment of communion where we corporately get to boast and celebrate about what Jesus did. And while the world may be offended by the cross, we can actually turn and give God all glory in it. And so I wanna just give you some instructions this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion. If you're new to us here, the way we do communion is we have two tables in the front of the room, two tables in the back of the room. And as Eli and the team pray, uh, plays, we just wanna give you a few moments to reflect on the message, to have a conversation of prayer with God. And then when you're ready, you can come up to the tables and on the tables, you'll find the elements. The elements contain a piece of bread, which is the representation of the body of Jesus and the juice, which represents his blood that was poured out in the covenant of forgiveness for all of your sins. You can take that little package back to your seat and you can partake whenever you're ready. You don't have to be a member of Bridgeway, but you do have to be a member of God's family. And I want to give you an opportunity to accept, to receive him into your heart right now. So if you would bow your heads, if you would pray with me, please. God, I just thank you for an opportunity to reflect on your greatest work, and that was to come into this world and to live and to die for each and every one of us. And it wasn't just your death, it was your resurrection that gives us power over all death and all of the things that seem to occupy so much of our life and our mind that steal our joy and rob us of the freedom that you've intended for us, God. So I pray in this moment we would think well about your work on the cross and that we would give you all the worship and all the glory because of it. I wanna say specifically for anyone here this morning that has never received the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, that this only comes through Jesus. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, nothing you can do to deserve it. But Jesus still looks upon you and says, I love you with an everlasting love. You're cherished, you're the apple of my eye. And to receive of his grace and to walk in his forgiveness, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. I admit that I'm in need of a savior. I believe that you have come into this world for me and I commit my life to following after you. If that's you this morning, then you are welcome to the table. You are welcome into God's family and into the gift that his son Jesus offers. God, we thank you. We're gonna give you our hearts of worship for all that you've done. It's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.